Hello, guys. I'm Wesley Rashid. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of the podcast. You're listening to the Tech Startup Collective. It's in this podcast we explore some of the insider tips and some of the finest talking points from today's brightest tech startup founders. Cosmin, how are you, mate? Hi, I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. For the benefit of the listeners on the podcast, how about you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into tech? Sure. By background, I'm Romanian. I was born in 1989 in Cluj, Romania. And when I graduated high school, I went to University Babish Boy to study computer science and software engineering. While in uni, I wanted to do something else besides courses and whatnot. And together with three friends, we decided to participate in a competition called Imagine Cup by Microsoft. Through that competition, we were brainstorming for an idea and we came about doing a medical interactive recovery assistant or shorter Myra to help patients in need have a better physiotherapy experience. The idea came about how when I told the story of how I broke my arm when I was seven years old, but immediately after I told that story, my at the time colleagues, now co-founders, all thought of relatives or acquaintances that they had that required physiotherapy and had a bit more difficult time following the prescribed exercises. So we all asked ourselves, what if patients would be interested in playing their way to recovery? And that's how Myra was born. Yeah, nice one. You know, as co-founders, did you all kind of go to school together? How did you guys meet? It's actually a quite funny story when we think about it, because we were, all four of us were interested in Microsoft Imagine Cup, in which we had to form a team of four people. And we saw there was a seminar about the competition on a Saturday at our university. And we all went. I went with Andre Daskalou, who is our CTO. And the other two, Alina and Andre Kantia, they went as well. At the seminar, everyone started forming teams. And the four of us were the leftovers. So we were basically the guys without teams. And we we just came together and formed the team to participate in the competition. I guess the history kind of takes care of itself. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was all happening in Romania, Yes, right? in uh, uh, 2010 or 29, 2010, something like that. You made your way to the UK? As a history, I guess, how we came to the UK, we participated with Myra at the Microsoft Imagine Cup competition. We ended up representing our home country, Romania, to the world finals in New York. And this was 2011. A year later, after we all graduated, we decided to take our student project into a business and we were looking for different business opportunities, either people to work with or potential accelerators. And at the time, Healthbox, which is a health tech startup accelerator, was launching in London, although they had a previous experience in the US. Mm -hmm. So they were launching their first class in London and uh, we applied. Uh, We weren't actually a company, we just applied as a product or project. And we were one of the seven companies invited to participate in the Healthbox Accelerator that started in October 2012. Now, when we flew into London, we weren't officially a company. We incorporated when we touched down, basically. And that's how Myra Rehab was born as a company. That is a nice story. Thank you. You know, um, Cosmin, because we've been friends for years now, and I've always thought you're, you're a really great example of Thank you. You know, an over. <laughs> I'm not trying to butter you up. I'm just trying to tee up the next question. But um, a really good example for overseas founders, because clearly there's an opportunity in here in the UK for tech founders to build a great product here 
in the UK. Be really interesting to hear you a few words around, you know, how different it really is starting and building a company in the UK. Maybe you could pick out one or two challenges. Besides finding the best accountant in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to be honest, we always said that had the opportunity like Healthbox come about from anywhere, we would have flown or opened up a company where that opportunity presented itself. So basically, if Healthbox ran in Spain or in the US where they were actually based at initially, we would have gone there because we wanted to grow our product, our idea, our baby, basically. This was so important to you. This was something that, you know, you really believed in. Yeah. And it was almost an, an overnight decision. Almost. Like we got the invitation on a Monday and we had to fly out two weeks later. So it wasn't overnight, but it still, it was a major decision. I, for one, was never lived outside my hometown for more than a few weeks in my life. And we basically made the decision to move to London. Now, I can't really say about other countries. I don't know the environments. I've been living in London for the past five years and a half. And for a tech startup, I don't think there's a better place to be than London mm-hmm. in Europe. Granted, Silicon Valley and the States present new or better opportunities. But for European startups, I think London's the best to be. And even more so, especially for startups that look at doing business overseas, such as over the pond in the States. I think being in London is a great advantage. Even US customers feel more comfortable if you know you operate under English law. What about the challenges? You talked about one of two, although I can think about 20. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I guess one of the biggest challenges for us was at the time transitioning from a student project to a proper business. Obviously, we we never really had a, our own business. We It was our first experience. So incorporating a company, going through all the hurdles, all the bureaucracy and whatnot. Not that it's complicated. It's just, it was completely new. It was totally different. I also actually studied international business in uni. And, you know, I had a course about VAT and I knew how to apply it on paper. But until I actually got to apply it in real life, it didn't really make sense. So that was one of the challenges that I can think of. A uh, second challenge, I guess, was building the business. And because it's a health tech business, and I'm sure other companies might have had a better experience and or others even worse, building a business, a tech business is hard. It's not a simple thing to do. If it was, probably a lot of people would do it. And things that we thought we were naive to think that it would take a couple of months ended up taking a year or even more. So coping with this time difference was one of our biggest challenges, I think. It's always a bit of a difficult one on what time frame you're going to get to your next release or build out your um, you know, beta version of your product, particularly when you've got stakeholders around you that have conflicting interests. And to be fair, I think what you've done with your product so far is great. But you've been presented with a few opportunities too, Cosmin, let's, let's not forget. So uh, one, one in particular springs to mind. I think we were having a drink in the pub uh, maybe, maybe a few weeks afterwards and you were telling me this great story, which I think the listeners need to hear. Referring to a TED talk that you did in 2015. Now, it's pretty good for listeners that are out there. You can Google Cosmin uh, TED talk and it's, it's got upwards of how many millions of views now. I mean, it's crazy. But maybe you can talk through your experience on getting into the TED alumni Because it's a really interesting story. Yeah, it was one of the best experiences of my life, to be honest. Towards the end of 2014, in autumn 2014, I got an email from Ted 
inviting me to apply for the TED Fellowship Program, which is basically a, a program for not necessarily young entrepreneurs, just young visionaries doing amazing work around the world. And I got an invite to apply and I went on the website and there was a long form that I spent two, a good weekend on uh, to fill out the questions as best as I could. I filled out the form and a few weeks later, I got an email from them asking me to participate in an interview to see if I could you know, receive the fellowship. It was quite funny. The interview was quite... When I think about it, it's, it's amazing in my mind because the interview was basically via blue jeans, which is sort of like a Skype. What was funny was that they could see me as in my webcam was working, but their webcam wasn't working. There were like <laughs> six or seven people in the room. So I w- had no idea what if I was saying was making sense or if, you know, someone was scratching their eyes or their head. Trying so to shaking under- their head or so yeah, you exactly. have no idea. What yeah. They're, yeah they're every, now and then, every now and then when I sneak in a joke, I could hear someone giggle and that would comfort me. But, but that was it. Right. Anyway, a few weeks later after that, I got the official invitation to become a TED Fellowship, which was even today, I, when I could think about it, it, was an amazing honor. I never thought I would be part of it. I remember when I received the email, my first reaction instinct was to reply and say, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, essentially I got to present as part of the TED Fellowship program at TED 2015 in Vancouver. I did a six minutes talk on what Myra is and how it came to be and where we want to take it. Like you said, it's been an amazing opportunity in the sense that all sorts of things have come out, out of it. So I remember over the next couple of months after I did a talk or after the talk went online, which was in May, I believe, May 2015, we got 600 emails from people around the world inquiring about Myra and new opportunities came. Our system was at the time used primarily between the UK and Romania. And by the end of the year, we had 10 countries using our system. So. That was quite cool. Are you still part of the TED alumni? Yeah. To speak and stuff. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily asked to speak at official TED events, sometimes TEDx events or TED related events. One of the first thing they, I remember they did in one of the orientation calls was you're a fellow for life, a TED fellow for life. So don't think that the fellowship ends and you're done. So it's an amazing group to be part in and seeing all sorts of people do amazing stuff. And it was the first time when I went to TED, being part of the fellowship class, it was the first time I heard about the imposter syndrome. I had around, you know, 40, 50 people that were doing amazing work around the world. And I felt that I didn't belong there. And uh, I remember going to one of the TED fellowship directors and uh, she said something like, Cosme, do you think you're the first one that feels this? You're like the 29th person that has come to me over the past couple of days saying the same thing. So don't <laughs> worry, everybody's feeling the same. <laughs> and whilst you're doing that, you're under 30, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing in my life. But, uh, uh, what do you I, mean? You have your own business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Let's talk about Myra, you know, how it all started. Why is this problem so important to you? Why is it so important that you solve this problem? That's a really good question. Why is it important? Ultimately, the idea of Myra came about between me and my three colleagues at the time, now co-founders. We just wanted to do something cool and we saw a potential in the market of helping patients in need of physiotherapy have a better experience. And in the beginning of this podcast, you presented it as a solution for the older generation. But in actual fact, our system is being used with patients of all ages. So our youngest is 2.5 years old. Our oldest is 102. 
That's a good clarification. <laughs> let's, let's get that right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I corrected you, right? But it's it's used for orthopedic and neurological conditions, and it's really designed as a tool for the therapist to help the therapist help their patients. We wanted to build a product that not only can improve the patient's experience, but also aid the therapist in del- delivering the treatment. Because what we found was that about 70% of patients do not follow their home therapy which results in longer recovery times. So anything that we could do to reduce that time would be great. A few years ago, the the Guardian, in collaboration with the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy, I believe, they put out an article which said that the average wait across the NHS in England to see a physiotherapist is 11.8 weeks. Mm -hmm. That's basically three months from after you see your GP and he recommends a physiotherapist. So waiting three months to actually get treatment most people don't because they go for private. But if we could do anything that could reduce that uh, that time, it would not only help the NHS, but also, more importantly, the patients. Elderly was a use case, though. I remember... Um, yes, it yeah, was. Yeah, it was then, uh, then you've kind of branched out. So I think that's where I um, might have uh, might, might pinned down, honed down on that. So it's eloquently... Thank you for correcting me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Just in a practical setting, how is the solution being received? What's the feedback that you're getting you know, as you're building the product and testing it? We base the entire product on our clients' and clinicians' feedback. So actually, for the past couple of years, everything we've developed in Myra was based on our clients' requests and what they think the system should be or what they think the system should have so that it can work for as many patients as possible, for as many conditions as possible. The feedback in general was good. Don't get me wrong, for some clients, it's really useful from the beginning. For other clients, it might take a few weeks or months to get used to some of Myra's functionalities so that they can use it for a particular patient. And that's why I said earlier, it's designed as a tool so that our clients figure out how best to take advantage of it. And it's amazing when we hear our clients come back to us saying, this is how I used it with this type of patient with which we never knew that it could be used with. We have one client that's using our system in a critical care unit with patients in bed. And I remember getting the call from them a few years back saying, hey, the clinician was on the phone and said, I heard about Myra. I'm curious if you could work with ITU patients. Do you know? And my honest reaction was, I don't know. I would have to test it first. And I, I never even thought of that use case. It's a really great feeling to see how our clients decide how to best take advantage of it. In terms of what we're afraid of, or let's say what we don't expect, is how technology moves. So I actually saw uh, last week tonight by John Oliver the other day, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he, was, he was talking about blockchain and Bitcoin and whatnot. And he said, can you think of a technology five years ago that you have, haven't heard of now? Google Glass. Right, right. So that, that yeah, was so yeah. popular five years ago. Yeah, and now, totally, and now it's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah no one knows absolutely. about it. So yeah. the same thing is, we don't know what technology will be in five years or what technology won't be here in five years. I'm totally expecting to be surprised of what will be out there and that technology may or not be applicable to what we are doing. And it, if it is, obviously our interest is for patients to have a better time when following their, their treatment. So if the technology makes sense, Myra will surely work with it. Yeah, just extending your roadmap with extra things to work on. Exactly, exactly. So interestingly, you talked about your journey. I mean, what's been your toughest challenge so far? Is there any advice that you can give to other founders that you've learned, you know, over these years of building Myra? 
a couple of things come to mind, but it really depends. Do you want my personal challenge or the company's challenge? Well, we have time, so let's, let's okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so from, from a business point of view, the biggest challenge that we still face today, and I think any company faces, is securing more customers, getting your products into your clients' hands, and more importantly, for them to be happy with it. You have no sales or business development experience, right? You're purely, you know, non-technical founder who is looking at, you know, this this problem that you want to solve. I'm just trying to think of it from a founder in your position, getting to that point where you've got a product market fit. There's code in the product that I wrote. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I was still important right on the technical yeah. side of things at the, at the beginning. I'm, although I'm not sure how much of the code we wrote five years ago it is still in there. But I do know some things are. Anyway, everything that I learned for business development or sales and whatnot, I've done as the company needed. And besides reading the typical books of how you should deal with clients or how you should get about, go about securing new customers, my company's life or my company's roadmap forced me to get into it and to learn different things in order to secure new clients. I'm not sure about other industries. I've been working in the healthcare or health tech industry for the past five years, but I've seen in too many cases the fact that healthcare as a whole is a quite conservative industry for good reasons, right? So don't get me wrong, products that do get into patients' hands need to be tested, validated, proven to help the patient and not actually hurt them. So the client life cycle is much longer than in other industries. And because we are a B2B customer, so we sell to clinical institutions, we don't sell to consumers, it also takes longer as well, you know, for the sure. from the the head of the therapy approving it to the financial manager approving it. It all takes time. And amusingly, most people think the NHS moves slow, but actually both private and public move just as slow. It, just, it really depends on who you're dealing with. And sometimes they move fast. So that, that scenario also exists. Uh, the deal value is quite large. So, you know, you'd expect that it is moving at different rates. And if you're dealing with public bodies, it's going to go even slower because they're, you know, you're speaking to uh, one person in procurement and then they direct you to someone else who has authority and that can take weeks or months. Exactly. Yeah, it really depends. And I mean, healthcare as a whole is a very constrained budgeted industry, especially the public sector. Everybody hears in the news how the NHS doesn't have money. But ultimately, it's about sticking to it and um, waiting on the client sometimes, even though the actual cash that comes in is less valuable than securing that client. For a startup or an early stage business, getting the client, getting the cash from the client is more valuable than the actual cash that they pay you. That was my business. That was your business one? Okay. Are you still interested in the the personal one? one, If not, we can avoid it. I would. think think the listeners need to know. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I've been asked a few times, what's my view on what entrepreneurship means and whatnot. And the best example I give is Steve Jobs' famous quote saying um, something like, I believe half of what separates successful entrepreneurs from non-successful ones is pure perseverance. And I can't stress enough how true that is. There's been many opportunities for us to stop what we're doing and just close the doors and go hire ourselves in other places and have a probably happier life. But I'm sure as all founders would 
say the beauty of a startup is having, you know, four days of week in which you're depressed. <laughs> and then that, that Friday or whatever day of the week it is, you receive so good news that it just blows away the other four. But to get to that fifth great day, you need to work out or work through the four days to get to it. And there's another famous quote, I guess, saying that you need to work five, seven, ten years before you have success overnight. Right. So uh, perseverance, I think, is the main key requirement. And that's what got me through the biggest challenge of all for me. My personal challenge is coping with all the difficulties that a startup threw at me. I totally agree. You know, um, now I can uh, totally uh, align myself with that, being a founder myself, right? <laughs> and look where we are. I mean, we're in a dark room with uh, <laughs> doing a podcast after hours. So it kind of, uh, it's kind of poetic in that sense. But it, Too bad no one really knows that. I mean, you're saying and they might not believe you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, let's lighten the mood and, and, you know, let's talk about, you know, your proudest achievement. I guess the TED talk would be like an amazing achievement. What I'm kind of trying to gear towards is really trying to link that to you securing quite significant grants and equity fundraising. That must have been a bit of achievement in itself. Can you describe maybe, you know, just getting onto that Innovate UK grant that has been recently funded you? We previously had an SBRI, a small business research initiative funding that allowed us to do the work we've done with older people. And that was in collaboration with the University of Manchester, in which they ran a randomized control trial on our system, seeing if our system could actually help prevent falls. And you're right, at the end of 2016, on 1st of December 2016, we officially started a Innovate UK funded project, which is a consortium between UK and Malaysian partners. It's a big project. It goes on for three years. Obviously, winning the grants is a good feeling. Right? You know that if you're going to do the job that you said you would, you're funded uh, to develop your product, to develop the vision that you basically applied for funding for. In itself, it's what has not only helped the grants by themselves is what they not only helped us improve the product, build the product by what it is and test it, but also helped us survive because they covered our tech development costs, my project management costs, and allowed us to get to the stage that we are today. In terms of what my proudest achievement would be, you're right. Ted was a great achievement for me, but it was a more a personal achievement than a company achievement. And I'm really proud and grateful to be in the TED program. But from a company point of view, the greatest achievements came when we heard amazing stories of patients having a much better recovery and much better results from using our system. We kid around, me and my co-founder sometimes, saying, even if Myra fails, at least we know that we have helped a few people get something. In our work we, that we've done with older people, there was a patient, Beryl. We have a video about her, Beryl Fenby, who could barely walk. She was using a outside scooter to go about her house. And she used our system for three times a week for 12 weeks. And at the end of the 12 weeks, she was able to get into her car and drive. She hadn't driven in four years. So something that she would never expect she would ever be able to do again, that was given back to her. That was all because she exercised three times a week using our system, that was a story that we couldn't have been prouder for. 
That's what it's all about. Yeah. So without giving away anything commercially sensitive, can you just perhaps describe what your technology does and how far has it gone in terms of solving the problems that you're aiming to resolve? Sure. So Myra is a software application running on Windows PCs and it uses Microsoft Kinect device, which is like the Nintendo Wii, but in actual fact, it's a camera. It's a 3D motion capture camera, which Microsoft initially developed for the Xbox as a competitor to the Wii. When we started, we started from something like a wearable, but when we tested it with the first few patients, we noticed that, first of all, the devices weren't accurate enough to detect fine movements. So let's say slow movements, a shoulder or an elbow flexion. If that was done slowly, the device wouldn't pick it up. And then even more amusingly, we had a patient who basically took the device off her injured arm and started playing with a healthy one and might have registered everything as being healthy. So we realized patients just to score more points in our system would try to cheat. So that's why we looked at the Kinect camera, which is a camera the uh, user either at the institution or at the clinic just puts underneath their TV and the camera will pick up the movements that the patients do. Now, in order to progress through each game, the patients need to do the correct exercises that were prescribed by their therapist to them. So in order to score more points, they can only do the elbow flexion or the squat that the therapist said they should be doing which in a way not only turns the exercises into video games, making the experience a bit better to follow because they have an objective on the screen rather than just looking at the walls and counting in their mind every squad they do. But the system also tracks what they do. And that compliance measurement or compliance tracking also improves their compliance because they know, their therapists know what they're doing. So they feel more accountable to their clinicians, which in fact helps them recover faster. In terms of what we plan to do or what we've planned to do and what we've done and what we still have to do, our biggest clinical trial to date was with older people that the University of Manchester ran in which they showed that our system can statistically significantly improve balance, pain and fear of falling, which are all in line really that a patient that or a person that improved their physical condition would improve these aspects as well, which would avoid falls. The trial was could our system prevent falls or help prevent falls, to better say? Because falls are the leading cause of accidental death among older people in Europe. That's one of the, that's our biggest work, clinical work so far. But we have all sorts of other institutions testing our system or using it in different scenarios from institutions looking at our system for pediatric rehabilitation, for neurological conditions, to institutions looking at post-op shoulder patients to a critical care unit uh, looking if our system could help patients in bed work out a bit more a day. And when I say more, I'm talking about a few minutes. So these patients can barely work for five minutes. So if they worked for two or three minutes longer, it could potentially help them get out of bed sooner. So they're all different scenarios and we leave it to our clinical collaborators and academics collaborators to decide how best to take advantage of the system because we're not clinicians. None of the founding members is a clinician. Mm -hmm. None of the full-time team is a clinician. We base everything we do on our clients and collaborators. So we let them tell us what the system should be doing. When did you complete the first working version of the Myra platform? 
the first prototype we did as part of our student projects and obviously changed over the years. I can tell you that our the version that we have out there right now was released in spring 2016. Okay. Cool. Besides that, or before that, there were other installation kits for the software. (laughs) (laughs) Say that with a wry smile. Well, yeah, because as the four founding members, we didn't have the experience that a senior developer would have. So when the tech, my co-founders would would work on it, they were learning as I was learning about business, right? Tech things. So by the time we got to a stage in which the product was good, we had clients that were buying it. We realized, actually, if we really want to grow this, we need to start from the ground up again. We used code that we had written or they had written before, but the product itself, it's, it's a new product than what it was three years ago. I guess the burning question is, what's in store for the future? I mean, we have big plans. Our short to mid to even long term is uh, getting more, getting our system in front of as many patients as possible. And of course, as many therapists as possible so that not only we improve the product, but obviously validate our business even more. Uh, help more patients. In terms of the future, we kind of look at it from different point of views. First, we look from a technical point of view, like Mm -hmm. what's out there, what could we use to make the patient's experience even better, but also from uh, how the market is looking. And there's an even bigger focus on getting the patients or getting people to take better care of themselves without having to come to institutions. So whatever we can do to improve that patient journey even if it's sure. not a physical journey to go to see your physiotherapist, we're working on it. Okay, so you've received obviously Innovate UK grant funding and development contract with SBRI, as well as raised money for your company. What's been different about how you've had to approach the funding, one for the, those programs, you know, at Innovate UK and SBRI versus equity fundraising? Um, so first of all, we haven't raised a lot in terms of equity fundraising. It's less than 300,000 pounds, actually. Those were all small seed deals, which obviously helped a lot in terms of cash and even some mentoring from some of our investors. Healthbox, in a way, I guess it was a more institutional type of investment and they were an accelerator. So till this day, we say it's been the best opportunity for us. It's what got us to London. In terms of fundraising, I would be lying to say I have experience with VC funding because we haven't. Uh, we haven't done any deals in that direction. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to fund ourselves primarily with grants and revenue. Now, from my experience with grants, like I said earlier, as long as we do what we said we were doing, we were going to do, they're really happy uh, with our roadmap and work. Whereas I guess the same thing applies in equity investment. However, usually when you deal with, when you have a, an investor on your board, if you miss a milestone or anything like that, it could really come back against you. Whereas in grant funding, it's a really limited project, either, you know, six months, a year, three years, however long it is. But as long as you stick to that project and you've come to the end with it and you did the best as you could, they're happy with it. All of them are usually research projects. So in case you fail, I, you don't prove something, but you show that you did your best they'll understand because research implies failure as well. Whereas when you deal with investors, sometimes that's not as easy as um, people think. Thanks so much, Cosmin, for your time. My pleasure. We'll just ask you one more question, though. Do you have any last tips for young, inspiring founders like yourself? 
So, um, I love thank putting you. you on the spot. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so, okay, probably one of the best advices I've ever gotten at the beginning was the most important people for your business are your lawyers and your accountants. So make sure you get great lawyers and great accountants. That's pretty good advice. I'll, I'll <laughs> take that. So that's a wrap, guys. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Tech Startup Collective with Cosmin from Myra Rehab. Thank you very much for having me.